And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Well, hello. This is Rick Brutico. I'm your mentor for this show. And uh, we have an exciting show planned for you today. But remember, this is Mentors Radio, so our objective is to interact with you and hopefully give you some ideas that will make your business run better, your life run smoother, and maybe challenge you to rethink the way you've thought of a lot of things in the past. The way we do that is by bringing on guests. We interview those guests that are very experienced, and those guests give us a lot of insights that hopefully will cause you to think, Am I doing this right? Is this the way I really want to do it? Which brings me to a point that I frequently bring up. You know, in life, I'm convinced there's more than one way to do things, but there's also more than one right way to do things. Obviously, when we do things wrong, we probably probably know that. But when we do things and the result that we get is acceptable to us, we think to ourselves, well, I guess I did it right. Maybe we did and maybe we didn't. Maybe it wasn't the optimum way to do it because There are many right ways to do things, and usually there are also many wrong ways to do things. So our critical thing is to highlight some of the things that are out there, some of the issues that are out there in today's world, some of the experiences that we've had. Another theory that I have, or I shouldn't say a theory so much as a saying, is that wisdom is experience modified by time. If you think about that for a second, so all the experiences that we have, the good, the bad, whatever, They all contribute to how we think. They help to mold the way we make decisions. And that's why in the Mentor Radio, we like to bring on guests that have uh, been working in their field for a number of years. You'll see today when you hear that my guest, uh, Dave Duran, has been in his business for over 40 years. There's a lot of experience there. And I can almost assure you that he's going to have things to tell us that maybe didn't go the way he thought they were going to. And likewise, things that went the right way, too. This is what we try to do on Mentors Radio. And so myself and John Phillips and Tom Laurie, your three uh, hosts, we try to, from week to week, give you information that will cause you to think about it. And to that extent, let me say, please remember, go to thementorsradio.com. Now, you can always hear the show on the stations you're listening to right now. But also, if you go to thementorsradio.com, all the shows are archived there. You can hear any of the past shows. There's a little write-up on each of our guests so you get an idea of who it is and what you're going to hear before you spend the time to hear it. And we also provide other things like books and things that the the guests may have suggested so that you can remember those things. Usually if you're driving the car, it's better to look at the website than to try to uh, take a text message down while you're driving. So the whole point is go to the mentors. There's a section there to ask questions too. And we really appreciate it when we get questions because it allows us to know whether or not we're getting to you with the message that uh, you want to hear. So back to my guest today. My guest is Dave Duran. He's a CPA, and he's also managing partner of White, Nelson, Deal, and Evans. They're certified public accountants and consultants. That's what it says on his business card. And I kind of want to discuss that with Dave when we get into it during the show today. Uh, But I think he has a real interesting story. He can tell you how he started at the bottom and rose to the top. 
with a multifaceted firm with over 100 professionals today. So it's a great story that you're going to want to hear and one that I'm anxious to have you have Dave tell you. The other thing that I am going to ask Dave about, but it'll be later in the show, is you know, from, from, the, from the recent news file, probably the most exciting thing that we're all at least thinking about is our president's proposal to uh, change and greatly simplify the tax code. So we'll ask Dave about that, too, to give us his opinion of, of what's happening there. But before we get there, we've got an awful lot to cover. So the time has come. We really need to get started. So let me welcome Dave Duran. Hello, Dave. Hi, Rick. Uh, how are you? And, and first off, I want to thank you very much for inviting me to participate uh, in this radio broadcast. Well, we're glad to have you. And let us turn that around and thank you for agreeing to do so. Uh, as a, as I, I think you know that uh, our objective here is that we have listeners that are in all areas. Uh, they're starting their career. Some are still in school. We have quite a few uh, people that are in school that are trying to make the decision where to go and yes. what to do with their life. And then we've got guys that have been around a long time and seem to be on a treadmill, and they're interested in things too. So um, when we have an opportunity to get someone like you uh, with all of your knowledge and experience – Believe me, uh, it's really helpful, and uh, I know that every time I do one of these shows, I learn a lot, too, and I, th- and I think I've been doing it for a long time. So, But with that, tell us a bit about your background, Dave. Sure. So, um, so originally, before I, before I went to Cal State Fullerton and graduated from Fullerton um, with an accounting degree, I actually was a chemistry major at UC Irvine. And uh, long story short, um, I was very concerned during those days um, about what my career was going to be had I followed a career in chemistry versus um, any other career. And I had, a, I had an appointment with my counselor, if you will, in my last year at UCI. And I remember at that period of time, he told me that I was going to earn a certain amount of money when I graduated. Well, I never gave any thought whatsoever to economics. I was good at chemistry, I was good at mathematics, and all of a sudden it was, it was eye-opening for me to learn that I was going to earn whatever he told me um, from, a, uh, from an earning standpoint. So I was very disillusioned, um, and I just thought that could never be enough money for me to be able to uh, support a family on. So long story short, I withdrew from UC Irvine the next day, and I ultimately took a job selling pharmaceuticals. Um, I was fairly good at it. Um, decided that I really needed to go back to, to college to get a what I considered to be a professional degree, and I looked in the Sunday Times to see where most of the jobs were. And there was one more job posting for accountants than there was for engineers. And so I decided I was going to go figure out what an accountant was. And I went to Cal State Fullerton and said, tell me what they do. Tell me what, they're gonna, what I'm going to earn when I graduate and so forth. And I was happy about that. And so I enrolled that next semester. And um, I ultimately, of course, graduated from uh, Cal State Fullerton an awful long time ago. Dave, it sounds Otherwise, like probably... I'd probably be an engineer today. <laughs> Dave, I've probably got a lot of chemical engineers jumping out of windows right now. 
it had it had to be a pretty a pretty sad amount of money they offered you to make you make that drastic change. It, but of course, it, you... it actually was. And and they, they, what they really told me is that I needed to go back to get a master's, and then I needed to go back and get a a doctorate to you know to effectively do real ah, well. And I thought, that well, makes I, sense. I can't afford the time to do that. And so when <laughs> I joined the firm here, Rick. I was the seventh person to join the firm. Okay, and Dave, today, can you hold that right? Hold, can you hold that right there? Ahead. Hold that right there because we have to getting up against a hard break. But that's a great place to pick up that you were the seventh person because I do want to hear about how you grew that firm. So uh, with that, we're going to go to a break. And uh, please stick with us and join us after the break. And we'll hear how Dave went from number seven to whatever number it is today. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is The Mentors, the radio show where we hopefully bring you interesting people that tell us interesting things and we learn more about their uh, career and more about how they got where they got and maybe influence what we do. I certainly did in that last uh, uh, little exchange. Uh, I'm with Dave Duran today, uh, the managing partner of White Nelson. And um, I chuckle because I've known Dave for a few years. I never knew he started as a chemistry major. And I surely never thought that uh, he quit within one day. So, Dave, you need to pick that story up and tell us how you pulled yourself off the floor and became a, a CPA and finally the managing partner. Uh, so I ended up graduating from Cal State Fullerton, and um, and I went to work for White Nelson. And in those days, I was the seventh person to start the to to start at the firm. Um, there were six people um, that the firm employed, and today we have over 140 people, and we have two offices, uh, one here in Irvine and one in in San Diego, and. What I'd like to say is that um, we had a good mix of people that I, I want to say were you know, good technically, but they were also good entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I think we had a, a good mix of people who could sell services, and we had a good mix of people, and we continue to have a good mix of people that um, know technically um, how to do the job. And so that for us has been a, you know, a real um, boost, if you will, to, uh, to our economic growth. And as the, as the economy, of course, expanded from, um, you know, small businesses and, you know, when I first started, we, you know, we did gas stations or we did homeowners associations and so forth. And so as word of mouth got around and as we got more and more, um, customers, our customers got larger and larger, and uh, they became international. And so, um, having said that, to be able to keep up with customers that became international, we had to join an organization of accountants that could represent our customers, if you will, across the globe and certainly across the United States. So, all of that really, I think, helped us grow to where we, we are today. 
So th- let's uh, try to figure that out a bit for our audience. So you've sure. uh, rattled off a pretty expansive growth there. But let me ask you, as, as a size, what would you say yeah. if I asked you your, your, your smallest customer to your largest customer, maybe in terms of revenue or something like that, what would you say, or in terms of employees, however you like to characterize those things? So I, I'm going to say that uh, today, and this would be typical if you don't mind, a typical customer of ours um, would be at about $30 million in sales revenue, and they would go from $30 million, I'm going to say, to about $150 million. That's a pretty typical customer of ours. Um, and we would do their audited financials. We would do their tax planning. We would do their succession planning, we would do their consulting, um, and we also have customers that are in excess of $3 billion um, oh. in revenue. Um, that's a that's now, a leap. <laughs> now, now that's, that's a big customer, and we have a yeah. couple of them that are in the billion-dollar range, but they're closely held companies. Um, we do not do any publicly traded companies whatsoever, um, and that's kind of typical size-wise you know, for us as far as customers go. Well, one of the things I want you to reflect back on during our conversation today will be those days when you started with, uh, as you said, the gas stations. Um, because yeah. one, of the, one of the things that we find a lot of people, and I certainly have found it in my career, Dave, is that uh, a lot of people really don't know how to use an accounting firm. They don't know if they should use an accounting firm. And, uh, you know, with today's uh, technology, uh, almost anybody can use Quicken or QuickBooks or something else. And when I started my company about 40-some years ago, I uh, I know that we had a bookkeeper, literally a green eye shade bookkeeper. Yeah. And ev- everything was done on these m- huge multi-column spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. You do. You probably recall them. You know, one I folds remember. out over folds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I so, do. but but the 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 problem is, and I guess I without leading you to an answer, because that's not my goal here. But my problem was that there was a lot of data collected. I don't know how much we used effectively. So maybe you could comment on, uh, you know, when should somebody start to thinking of, think about uh, doing some sort of uh, evaluation of their accounting practices and what it should it be used for. Sure. So, Rick, um, what, what we found throughout the years is that really all sizes of business um, should be at least thinking about the utilization of CPAs. Now, um, larger businesses usually employ them for um, audit purposes. Um, smaller businesses usually employ them from a tax strategy standpoint, a tax planning stra- strategy standpoint, um, mitigating the, imp- the impact of income taxes, but also being their uh, CFO when they need one. So, for example, when a small company cannot afford a CFO and something comes about where they really could use one, for example, let's say that they're concerned about what their cash flows are going to be for the next six months or two months or year, um, well, a CPA can easily, if you will, um, project out what their cash is going to look like and whether what their cash needs are going to be and really kind of take the mystery out of cash flow issues. And it could be that, it could be budgeting, it could be measuring performance, if you will, 
um, against where that entrepreneur or business owner effectively sees himself either in a month or two months or six months or a year. And having said that, that, that CPA is not doing audit work, but they're doing consulting work. And they're well, helping and I, that business owner. Well, I want to talk about that consulting piece in a minute too, but this reminds me of a story that I go back to my grandfather who ran a grocery store, and this is a lot of years ago. One thing that I used to remember, and a great lesson I took away is, all the time during the day, he would open the drawer underneath where the counter was, open up his cigar box, look at the money, close the cigar box, close the drawer. And what I didn't know at the time was he was doing managing his cash flow. And, and it does surprise me in today's environment how many people don't look at that until the end of the month or the end of the quarter. So uh, what would you say? What, what, is the, what is the key there that they know that they should call you up to do that? So I, Rick, on a on a... On all sizes of businesses, um, but the larger businesses, you know, who have their internal staff that can, you know, project the cash and determine where they're going to stand from a cash standpoint, you know, they've got um, their personnel in place to do that. But small businesses, they seem to think that where they're going to stand from a cash standpoint is a mystery. And what I want to say is that. Um, the amount of cash that they ultimately need to run their business is something they need to plan for. So, for example, if their business is going to double or if it's going to grow a third or whatever it happens to be, let's figure out what their cash needs are. We can easily do that. They can easily do that with the help of a CPA. And to that extent, that you can determine whether or not there's going to be enough cash that's coming in or whether or not they need to borrow cash or whether or not they need to get some investment capital or something in that regard. But what it does really is it does take that mystery out of where they're going to be. And so many small businesses that I see, you know, are in the quandary where they just don't know where they're going to be cash-wise. And what I like to say is that plan it out, take that mystery out of it, and now you can determine really where you're going to stand and what you're going to need and what the cost of that is going to be. And that's what I think for small businesses becomes, you know, very important, aside from budgeting and aside from measuring their performance against their predetermined um, budgets. So it, this is a lot of us when we look at, uh, especially investing in things, we look at things like EBITDA, which essentially is their cash flow, I think, isn't it? Yep. Yes, it is. Well, and, and, I, and I wonder how many small businesses are aware of that measurement, and do they focus on that, or are they focusing the, on the P&L at the end of the period? And it seems to me that that's, that's a big differential. I mean, we're trained all the time in this world to make, make a profit, make a profit, make a profit. Uh, but in the final analysis, at least as you live from day to day, very much of it is controlled by how much cash you have. Anyway, Dave, I see we're coming up to a hard break again. So uh, let me just remind my listeners that uh, we're talking to Dave Duran, managing partner of White Nelson, and we'll be back right after this break. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, and welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors. This is Rick Brudico, your host for this show. I have with me today Dave Duran, managing partner at White Nelson in Irvine, California. Right before we took a break, 
uh, Dave was telling me and telling you, the listeners, telling us uh, the importance of managing cash. It may sound kind of uh, an oxymoron, but I know that in my career, I have experienced that where people don't look at the cash. The way they look at their checking account and they figure out they're out of cash. But uh, I think uh, our guests would agree that that's a little too late. So I'm wondering, Dave, if you could kind of pick it up with that and tell us about the managing cash and then maybe the other side of the story, which is, you know, more or less following the money the and the analysis of that data. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as we all know, um, really cash is what determines um, how we're going to pay our payables, how we're going to stock an inventory, what inventory levels we're going to have, how we're going to be able to pay our personnel what machinery and equipment we're going to be able to buy, and so forth. And so um, having a cash projection that is driven off of a predetermined budget um, is paramount. And so I find that the cash projections also go with budgets because that budget is what that owner, entrepreneur, um, CEO feels that the company can do in the next 30, 60, 90 year, two years. And so getting that in place as to what the CEO feels that he effectively can accomplish. And I like to say, let's, let's budget unfettered. Let's assume that you have unlimited resources. Let's put it down in the budget and let's see what it takes to get there. And, and what it takes to get there is of course having the essential cash to be able to um, effectively uh, meet those budgets. Now, once you've got your budget in place, Rick, what I find is really important is uh, closely after a period end, monthly, um, quarterly, yearly, is to analyze that budget against your actual performance and to be able to use that to say what went wrong or what went well. You know, were our margins where we thought it was was going to be? And if they're not, what happened? Were our costs for manufacturing high? Were our labor costs high in that? Were our product costs high in that? Was our overhead high in that regard? But using that budget, if you will, against actual results in determining what happened, what was good, what was bad, and what do we need to do to change it? And what I also like to see is that those budgets that are created by those CPAs with the help of the CEOs, that effectively those budgets are changed on a go-forward basis as they feel change is necessary. So that's what I, I really feel is important, is to blend both budgets and cash flows together, projections, and then measuring, if you will, where you stood in relation to those predetermined goals um, that the owners and the CEO set up. That's great. I, I like to hear that. And I, I hope our, our uh, audience is listening carefully to this. My experience has been along the way that, first of all, you p- talk about people changing a budget. They go, you can't change the budget. That's our yearly plan. That's a budget. But the reality of the situation is the budget is should be a moving target. And that doesn't just necessarily mean reducing it because you're not making your numbers. It means increasing it if you are making your numbers and how you yeah. can see that plan to expand. 
The other thing that I think you've brought up that's very interesting and, and we should, you know, kind of make sure that everybody gets it is when I think when you're talking cash flow, managing the cash, it's really important you manage the cash with respect to time. Because as you used in your examples a few minutes ago about paying your people, well, it's all wonderful to know that you're going to have enough cash at the end of the month. I don't know what you're going to do with that mid-month payroll. So yeah. uh, can you talk about some of the some of the methods that you utilize that you might suggest to a company to make sure that they're on top of that daily other than, as I said before, balancing your checkbook? Yeah. So, um, so what we usually see is we, we see those cash projections, if you will, um, you know, broken down on a 30-day historical period. And, um, however, um, it's not hard to break those 30-day historical periods into um, uh, certain uh, uh, milestones. So it could be payroll periods. It could be, um, it could be if you're manufacturing and you've got uh, percentage of completion jobs. It could be specifically um, when those jobs um, are to be pushed out the door, um, in which case you've gotten most of your costs in at that period of time. But what we do find is that having some kind of a daily dashboard to kind of tell the CEO where they're going, what their target is on a monthly basis, and where they, where they stand in relation to that. And that, that Dashboard could be cash. It could also include receivables. It could be what his payables happen to be. Um, and it could also be a projection on what the um, uh, organization feels that they're going to be collecting that week, if you will. And then you can easily measure how you stood after, um, you know, that period of time, whether it's, you know, half monthly or monthly or whatever the period is. Well, I would say, too, that you, the reality of the situation is that if you aren't measuring on a regular basis and you aren't looking at it in a period of time, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself in the unhappy situation one day of just simply not being able to pay your bills, especially if you're a company that's a consumer-oriented company where it's much harder to pick, uh, you know, uh, prognosticate the cash flow because obviously people pay as they shop or as they buy or as they get to their month end or as they get their paychecks. Um, so I think that's just marvelous advice. And, and take, take, me, take me one step further, if you will. How does that relate uh, to getting to the profits now? So I've got cash, and, and, my, uh, and we only have a couple minutes to do this, so just kind of maybe a little summary, Dave. How do, how do we get to the, the profit side? Because in the final analysis, my stocks go up and down. My stock price goes up and down based on profits more than cash flow. Right. So um... – so cash is really, in, in my mind, is, is really just one of the physical assets that exist within the business. Now, it's, it, it is, it's somewhat different, if you will, than, um, than uh, productive capital, than, for example, machinery and equipment. And it's different than receivables, if you will, because receivables were waiting to get that converted into cash. Um, but cash is, is, is that asset that I can do whatever I like with to affect the business. I can buy more equipment. I can pay employees. I can retire debt. I can pay payables. I can do all of that. But the P&L itself, the P 
P&L is driven specifically by, you know, what your payables are, um, what we've incurred, if you will, from a payable standpoint, what are um, – what our um, uh, product that we've either manufactured or we've purchased and we owe, if you will, um, and, um, and effectively what our revenue happens to be plus all our expenses. And all of let's, that, Dave. Let's let's cut it right there, if you don't mind. We're if you cut, we're running up against the break again. I know these segments tend to go fast, but anyway, let's stop there because I think you're telling us the story of follow the money, and I think we're all interested in that. So stick with us, and we'll hear more from uh, Dave Duran following the break. And now. Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, welcome back once again. This is Rick Brudico, your mentor host for today's show. I'm with Dave Duran. Dave's been telling us a lot about how we should run our business from an accounting perspective. And I know, although I've been in business for over 40 years, in fact, I think 50 years now, um, I've learned a lot already on things that I, I wish I had done had I listened to Dave a lot uh, a lot sooner. So uh, I'm going to pick up where Dave left off, where he's talking to us about how we get to the P&L. But I also want to focus on one thing, Dave, so maybe you can uh, swing into this as well. Um, if I read your title, it's um, Managing Partner of White, Nelson, Deal, and Evans, LLP, but then under it, it says certified public accountants and consultants. And I'm really interested in talking about the consultant part, too. So maybe if we can talk or just kind of wrap up the follow the money story, as I call it, the P&L, uh, maybe sure. then we can move into the other piece. So if, if sure. you would. So, so Rick, just uh, follow up on, on the um, cash issues. So the way we look at cash is cash is the culmination of the P&L. It's the culmination of the earnings process whereby we sold, we manufactured a product, we paid for it, um, we sold the product, we got a receivable, and now we're going to convert that receivable into cash. And so that cash really is the culmination of um, the earnings cycle itself. And that cash, it could be used to reinvest in the business, it could be used to give to the owners, either in dividends or distributions or and so forth. Um, so we kind of look at cash as being the end all, if you will, of the profit and loss um, process. And as far as talking about consulting, um, so what I think what most people are, you know, very aware of is that CPAs will are usually involved with auditing your books and records. We're also involved in preparing tax returns. We also do, of course, tax planning. Um, and I think those things are what most people, you know, ascribe to CPAs. But what I'd also like to say is that every facet of business um, can be a role can be played by your CPA. And so, for example, succession planning. So most businesses that are that are closely held, where are they going to go? Where are they going? Are they going to sell in the future? Are they going to acquire new businesses? Are they going to transition to family members? 
Um, are they going to retire and, um, and maintain an absentee owner status? Um, all of that, if you will, from a succession planning standpoint, can be um, directed and, and at least facilitated by a CPA. Additionally, debt structure. structure. So if we need more capital um, and the company needs to um, either get debt or it needs to bring in um, um, equity capital, um, CPAs can direct that and help in determining what the structure would look like um, and whether or not we can effectively pay for those things, what it will do for us um, in the long run. Um, and I mentioned mergers and acquisitions. So that company that is that very small company today, part of its strategy in the future may be that it's going to merge with other organizations or it may acquire other companies to get certain synergies. All of that, if you will, can be effectively um, uh, uh, helped um, by a CPA. So if, if it's a merger and acquisition, the CPA firm can determine and help with the structure associated with that. It can also do due diligence whereby they determine that the books and records that you're buying or you're merging with are valid. And, and, and a lot of CPA firms, and we are one of them, we do business valuations. So if a customer comes to us and says, I want to acquire a business, we can tell them um, effectively what we think it's worth based upon what their, what their cash flow is um, and what their synergies will look like when you put the two businesses together. Um, but I think, I think traditionally people are only used to auditing, if you will, and tax planning by CPAs, but that is by no means uh, the limits of what CPAs do. Well, and, and I want to kind of pick up on that because I'm going to, right before I say this, I'm going to plead guilty myself for a lot of years. I don't know how many times that um, I've always had accounting firms, always had CPAs working for me, analyzing the books. Ever, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's not to say that I didn't see them at all during the year, but very infrequently. And I remember the meeting at the end of the year, right before they're ready to issue the statement, they come in and ask you a bunch of questions. And I guess they're requ you're required to do that by the SEC, among other people. I guess my point here is, though, that um, do you have an idea or a thought process of what you might like to see? Like, it, it, should a CPA be monthly at, a, at some sort of a, a, a board meeting or staff meeting or planning session? Or how, how do you keep him involved so he can understand the business and understand how they, how, how they can help in so many of these areas, including well, getting I, funding I, I or think, exiting? Go ahead. Yeah, so what I think, uh, really, Rick, is, is giving customers, giving our customers, and uh, giving them the population of what CPAs do, of what we can do for them, is important. Because we need to let them know always um, that if you're thinking of doing these things, we can help you with those. And what I'd like to say is that um, most firms that we represent um, we are with them um, two to four times per year. Um, we're with them from a tax planning standpoint. We're with them also from a business standpoint as to where we're going, what we see, and so forth. And I think the best relationships that we have with customers are our customers call 
when really anything comes up that affects their business um, from a uh, an accounting standpoint. They want to know what the effect of doing the, these things are, um, what we've seen, um, and so forth. For example, deferred compensation arrangements, you know, very popular. Um, uh, a lot of companies like to utilize them, if you will, to handcuff people to the firms. Um, we often get, get involved with designing um, deferred compensation arrangements for our customers that want to meet a certain criteria and a certain goal relating to management itself. Um, also, when it comes to retirement plans such as ESOPs um, um, and other um, 401k and other plans, um, not only do we audit those plans, but we also um, consult with customers as to what it can do for you, what the effects of that are, um, and so forth. Well, I can tell you, Dave, that if, if we had that kind of help and assistance when I was first started my company years ago, I know we would have gone completely different track because uh, we were one of those people, as I said, I'm pleading guilty to this, that I talked to my uh, my uh, uh, CPAs once a year just about, or maybe, maybe twice a year. Bottom line, I'm thinking, I'm talking to these guys. They're charging me. I got to be careful here. <laughs> so having altogether the wrong idea, of course, but, uh, but you, the outline that you laid out is great. I want to switch feet now, if you will. We're coming up against another break. And as I said at the beginning of the show, the news is that our president is going to give us a simplified tax return. So maybe at the end of this break, we could uh, just talk about that a bit and uh, give us your what you're thinking about it. Sure. Thanks, Rick. All right. Stay with us and hear about the new Trump tax scheme. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hello, you're listening to The Mentors, where we, your host CEOs, try to ask our guests questions that can help you in your daily life and in your business life, and in all the facets of your life for that matter. We hope to get to a number of things like that. Today has been an example where you're just getting a, a course on accounting and how to properly use accounting in your business. This is Dave Duran, the managing partner of White Nelson Deal and Evans. So uh, right before the break, I said, Dave, that I was, uh, you know, we're all interested in what's going on with this Trump tax return. I know it talks about a couple of things that excite me. One is simplification. And another one is they're talking about lowering the tax rate down to 15 percent. And also, which I don't understand very well, is they're talking about improving the pass-through rate. But I wonder if um, you could just kind of give us your overview on what you know. I know there's no law passed yet, so there, there's no hard things that we're analyzing. But from what you see, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, thanks, Rick. Um, so, uh, so we don't have a lot of information um, that is currently available. I mean, we do have a you know, kind of a one-page um, uh, proposal um, as to what the uh, tax uh, relief is to be. And, you know, the, the, the big issue there, a couple of big issues, um, one is, of course, dropping the top-tier rate uh, from almost 40% to 33 to 35% as a top-tier rate. Um, and then... Another significant item there is the elimination of the estate tax. 
Um, and another significant issue is the elimination of the alternative minimum tax. And so, so, um, so I, I, I'm going to say that, um, that there's nothing simple at this point in time, and there is no tremendous simplification um, in the proposal at this point, but it is a significant tax cut. So it would eliminate the um, the estate tax, which at this point in time, uh, estates that are uh, under $11 million roughly um, are exempt, and, um, and it would now exempt all wealth transfers, if you will, um, uh, in the future. And so that is certainly a simplification, um, but the alternative minimum tax, which is a an additional tax, if you will, that adds back um, what the government feels um, were preferential treatment items. Um, that is also um, effectively in the proposal to be eliminated. So there is there are some tremendous, if you will, um, tax breaks. There also are some. Um, there is some. There was some thought about. Um, pass-through um, uh, uh, businesses and and what the effective tax on pass-throughs would be. Um, I don't have that in front of me at this point in time, but that is um, to be lowered, um, if you will. Um, and I think genu- genuinely that the um, the rates across the board will be um, much lower than they currently are. Well, thank you, Dave. I, I appreciate that, and I know it's very sketchy at this point. I'm hoping for simplification. Uh, I, I want to use my CPAs the way you described them, to consult with me and help me plan, as opposed to yep. just fill out that very difficult tax form, which uh, I long long ago gave up doing, uh, <laughs> although I did it early in my year. But we're, we're uh, kind of closing our show today, so let me first start by thanking you very much, Dave. We appreciate you coming in and chatting with us. And... Um, I hope that uh, those people that are interested in some of the things you've talked about uh, will give you a call and uh, remember the name, uh, uh, White, Nelson, Deal, and Evans, and uh, they can help you learn more about how to do your taxes, not just your taxes, but how to run your company from a financial perspective. Um, Thanks, Rick, and I want to thank you for inviting me on the show. Well, thank you very much for coming, and thanks for the excellent talk we had today. In fact, as I said before, I have an MBA in finance, and so I've taken a fair fair number of accounting courses, and I just wish I had had you to tell me a lot of these things way back then. I would have been far more successful. So uh, we thank you all for listening today, and we thank Dave for his excellent uh, treatise, and we remind you you're listening to The Mentors Radio. You can follow up with this on TheMentorsRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and next week you'll hear John Phillips and one of his exciting guests. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.